0: Welcome in to Outkick the Show. I'm your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope you guys are having fantastic Wednesdays wherever you may be across this great country or this great land. I uh, want to encourage you, as always, go click like and subscribe if you are watching this right now on YouTube. Uh, I love all of you wherever you are subscribing, but as we are sitting at 860,000 subscribers on YouTube right now, I want to go over a million. All right, I want to go over a million because I'm told that I get a uh, plaque uh, honoring OutKick or whatever the company is or the individual when you go over a million subscribers. Selfishly, I've already asked uh, to be given that uh, plaque with a million subscribers because my kids watch everything on YouTube. Um, And so when we go over it a a million and we're sitting at 860,000 subscribers, as I said right now, uh, I want that plaque. I'm going to put it, I'm going to hold it up for all of you, uh, wherever that plaque goes. Um, I'm going to keep it in my house. I rarely ask for, uh, for anything, but when we go over a million, uh, I'm going to claim that plaque as a, uh, as a, a success for us. And, uh, again, that's thanks to you guys. Click like, click subscribe. I love you all. Whether you're watching on Twitter, rumble, uh, Instagram, Spotify, I don't even know all the different places where you guys watch TikTok, uh, but I love you on YouTube the most, Twitter for sure. All right, a couple of different things. Uh, Ron DeSantis has officially announced uh, filed paperwork to run for president. Reports are that he's officially going to announce tonight uh, with Elon Musk, we will have DeSantis on Clay and Buck, uh, tomorrow at the open of the show. I imagine that he is doing media all over the place as a part of his announcement. Uh, And I said this on the show earlier, so uh, if you did not hear it there, uh, then I want to make it clear here. Um, I would say this to Ron DeSantis, to Nikki Haley, to Tim Scott, to Vivek Ramaswamy, to everyone who is announcing for president to run as a Republican. It is quite clear to me that the Department of Justice and Jack Smith, who is leading this special counsel investigation, that they intend to charge Donald Trump with federal violations of the law. I think that is inevitable. Uh, I think that, the, that uh, those charges, if I were predicting, I think they will come down in June or July uh, in the summer. I also think Trump is going to be charged in Atlanta uh, associated with Georgia state election law violations, okay? I believe that every candidate running for the nomination on the Republican side, and I would do this if I were running for president right now, should pledge that they are going to pardon Donald Trump should they be elected president and become the Republican nominee in 2024. And the reason why I would make this pledge is because it is an entirely political-based prosecution of Donald Trump. So... I would say that every Republican candidate should come out and make this argument. Now, some of you will say, well, uh, that plays into Democrat hands. I disagree. I think you have to stand on principle. And the principle is this, charging someone with crimes because they are a political adversary with a Justice Department that is run by the Democrat Party right now represents everything that is wrong with America, in my opinion. Trump would not be charged with a crime if he had never decided to run for political office, right? Never would have been charged with any crimes in New York City, in Atlanta, by the Department of Justice. None of his organization would have ever been charged with any crimes. These are all political prosecutions. The goal is not to pursue truth and justice. It is to get Donald Trump. And never in the history of our republic Has there ever been charges brought against a former president uh, by the political party that opposes him as he is a leading candidate to potentially be the nominee? Now, Trump could pardon himself, right, of federal charges. And I want to be clear, the president doesn't have the ability to pardon for the New York State charges or for the Georgia charges. But if I were running for president of the United States right now, I would pledge forthright that I would pardon Donald Trump in the event he faces federal charges if I were the nominee and went on to win the presidency in 2024. I think it's the right decision for America. I think it's the right decision for the Republican candidates. I think it is standing on principle. If there is a political hit on this, sometimes you got to take it. Sometimes you just have to stand on principle. And the idea of charging your chief political rival with a crime based solely on the politics behind it, to me, is wrong. So that's the position that I would adopt. Uh, I would encourage DeSantis. I would encourage Tim Scott, the the Gramaswami, Nikki Haley, whoever the nominee might be in the event that it is not Trump. I think it's the right choice to make. Um, And uh, it's one that I believe is a no-brainer, both on principle and politics. So I want to put that out there. There's a big discussion. Big discussion about the collapse of Bud Light, the new target that is on target, um, and what the consequences are of embracing one particular perspective of politics. And there's an interesting data point that's out there right now. if, If you could convince me that going woke is great for a business, then I would look around and I would say, okay, that's capitalism, right? I believe in capitalism, I believe in markets, You're looking at somebody who founded a company, sold it, made himself fabulously uh, wealthy in the process, right? I'm a hundred million plus guy, right? So nobody out there believes in capitalism more than your boy sitting talking to you right now, right? I am a foremost believer in capitalism. So if you were able to convince me that it was smart to go super woke and that was going to be a huge win for your business, that going to woke politics was great, I would say, I I don't blame you, right? Make the decision that is best for you from a capitalistic perspective. Data doesn't reflect that that's true. And Disney stock, and maybe we can, on the short form version of this video that we share, we can share uh, the stock chart that I shared with all of you. Disney stock today is the same price it was nine years ago. That is, if you had bought stock in Disney back in 2014 or 15, the stock price would still be below what you paid very likely uh, today as it was back then. It's pretty crazy to think about. It's because Disney's brand has begun to collapse. There's data to reflect this. I'm not just making it up. Back in 2014, according to Axios, uh, Disney had an overall score, brand reputation, of 83 out of 100 in their uh, event here. And the score is uh, deals with character, trust, trajectory. The Disney brand value has declined from 83 back in 2014 to 70.9 today. And you can go see this. This is written up on OutKick. Maybe we can put the graphic in uh, to show you what the Axios data shows. And they test, uh, Axios does, 100 brands, and Disney is now the fifth most polarizing brand in America. Didn't used to be the case. Fifth most polarizing brand in America. Think about that. If you grew up like I did, going to Disney World, watching Disney movies, the idea that Disney would ever be polarizing is crazy. And this has led to a collapse. Used to be Disney had kind of equal numbers for Republicans and Democrats. People agreed on Disney's brand. The reason why Disney has collapsed is cuz Republicans have abandoned Disney as it has decided to go to war with Ron DeSantis over the don't say gay so-called don't say go gay bill. Um and you know what if if you argue to me, "Hey, Disney is actually gained by fighting this battle in its overall brand. I would say, okay, maybe that's the right move for Disney. But the data doesn't reflect it. Again, this is Axios data. Disney's reputation for uh, Democrats has gone up from 72.5 to 80.3. So basically, we have gone up about, uh, what, 7.5 points there in overall brand value but it has plummeted by 14 points among Republicans from 75 to 61. So Disney used to be liked a little bit more by Republicans than it was Democrats, but it was roughly even. Now Disney is wildly polarizing, the fifth most polarizing brand in America. And Disney has plummeted with Republicans way more than it has risen with Democrats. So this is a very definition of woke politics being bad for Disney. Bob Iger is making a really bad choice by going to war with DeSantis. He is destroying his brand with many Republicans, and he isn't elevating his brand with Democrats enough to make up what he's losing with Republicans. Okay, this is just basic math. If you told me right now, Clay Travis, every time you go on to uh to outkick and you mention Bud Light, your overall brand collapses. I'd say, ah, maybe I shouldn't talk about Bud Light anymore. Because I'm gonna make rational decisions that make sense for my overall brand, right? And that brand is directly connected with OutKick, which is growing explosively. Because I want us to get bigger and become more influential, and that makes the business more valuable. That's a very basic essence of brand building and also business. Bob Iger should be answering questions, the CEO of Disney. Why are you adopting left-wing political woke arguments if that is destroying your brand and decreasing the overall value of Disney. And in particular, the stock price has not moved nine years in a positive direction as the overall brand value of Disney has decreased and the polarization has increased. Think about this. Why would Disney be leaning into politics at all instead of just focusing on making great movies, what ultimately works is transcendent, phenomenal business, the content that you create. Disney right now is losing $11 billion in streaming. The Disney Plus subscriptions are declining in the United States, which I think is probably connected to this polarization, even if they don't want to acknowledge it. And yet Bob Iger is leaning more into woke politics. What about just coming out and saying our goal is to make great movies and great content that children all over America will all love? Because look what's going on. Marvel movies starting to decline in revenue. Star Wars, such a disaster that Disney basically had to put pause on things because they've alienated a huge percentage of the Star Wars base. Look at the last few movies that Disney has come out with. They've been a mess. What works is universal appeal, and the data reflects that going woke actually directly cost your business money. Now, why does this happen? I think this is an interesting dynamic. You may have heard me talking about it on Clay and Buck. I think the reason why this happens is CEOs make decisions oftentimes that are in the worst interest of their company, but are in the best interest of the CEO remaining employed. I really think this is what goes on. And so Bob Iger might even recognize, he sees this data, that he's wrong, but he's making the choice to be wrong because it guarantees that he continues to make tens of millions of dollars, even if he's destroying the underlying brand value in the process. And I'll give you, to close here, a thought. Mike Slive, former SEC commissioner, now, uh, now passed, a phenomenal SEC leader back in the day. He was an older man, and we had a pretty good relationship. And I remember him having a conversation with me. He said he thought about the Southeastern Conference as a public trust. The value of all those brands in the SEC, Tennessee, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, now Texas A&M, Missouri, soon-to-be Oklahoma, Texas. He said, I think about the SEC as a public trust because it means so much to the people who are fans and graduates of those schools. And I'm paraphrasing him. We'll be right back. Got to take a little break here. We are rolling without kicking. You don't want to miss a moment. Stay tuned. My goal is to make that brand stronger to pass it on to others who will be running it in the future. Greg Sankey, commissioner, is a friend of mine. I think he's done a fabulous job so far as a commissioner of the SEC. Disney's that. Disney is a public trust institution like the Southeastern Conference is because... Your grandfather, if you are a fan, or your grandmother, or your great-grandpa, or your great-grandma, oftentimes rooted for the same team that you do today. You probably started going to tailgates when you were five or six years old, and you became a fan, if you are a college football fan, very often of the team that you root for long before you thought about going to college. That's particularly true in the South, where I live. Disney's the same way. Before you even made a conscious decision about supporting or not supporting a brand, you probably watched Peter Pan or Cinderella or Snow White. And your parents and grandparents probably shared that with you because they had watched it as well. And what happens is the public trust of Disney is being destroyed in real time by going to far-left politics and alienating a significant subset of people who were predisposed to already like Disney. This is an absolutely awful decision on the business side. It's basic math. Bob Iger is failing to preserve the public trust of Disney, like Mike Slive, the former commissioner of the SEC, said he worried about doing as well. And I'll just leave you with this thought on that comparison. If you're an Auburn fan and you were an Auburn fan in 1980 and your family were big Auburn fans, I bet it's almost certainly the case that as we sit here in 2023, 25 years almost from 1980, I bet you're just as big of an Auburn fan today as your family was in 1980. Right? Can you say the same about Disney? I don't think you can. That's what happens when you destroy the value of a public trust. It's bad business, and even worse than that, it's bad long-term decision-making. Bob Iger is destroying the legacy that Walt Disney built, and he's doing it on a fundamentally flawed business premise. I'd have trouble sleeping if I were him right now. Um, Look, I'm a big believer. And if you hear me talk a lot, so let me take a step back. Somebody said, what's your goal? My goal is to be pretty good with my content every day. I started writing online in 2004. None of you watching this video right now, I bet, knew who I was, other than my mom. Hi, mom. In 2004, all right? Dad might watch this too, although he doesn't really know how the internet works. Mom has to show it to him, all right? Almost none of you knew who I was in 2004. 25-year-old attorney when I started writing about SEC football in my Virgin Islands law office. 20 years later, a lot of you now know who I am. Outkick is huge. Uh, I'm on Fox News all the time. I got the biggest radio show in the country. Got almost a million YouTube subscribers. People are watching, consuming. Got a new book coming out in August. It's going to be a bestseller. Why is that? I would argue it's because for nearly 20 years, I've been pretty good every day. And if you stack a lot of pretty goods together, eventually it all starts to work together. Uh, and we built a good brand at Outkick now. A lot of you respond to it. Our newest employee, Charlie Arnault, is killing it. You're seeing her on uh, a lot of our programming. Tommy Lahren is on absolute fire with the content that she's putting out. Dan Dackage. Uh, all of our writers, I'm super happy about it. We're stacking a lot of pretty goods, and that's eventually turning into explosive growth, right? Pretty good, pretty, pretty good. Eventually, you turn explosive, right? That growth. And I think we're going to be in explosive growth mode. In fact, that's where we are right now. Um, And why is that? Well, it's because when you stack pretty goods together and you start to put good talent together, you get into a virtual, uh, a, a flywheel of beneficial results. And let me give you an example. Every time you go to Google and you type in a Google query, it makes the Google search engine work better. Okay? And when that Google search engine works better, more people use it. The more people use, the flywheel of virtue is spinning fast, right? Every day, Google became better, created a better brand, keeps building on itself, right? There's a network effect with that efficiency of, of being pretty good every day, getting better every day, okay? That also is starting to happen in cities. And I saw this data in the Wall Street Journal, and I wanted to make sure that I talked about it with all of you because this is a big deal, and I think it's going to lead to really significant outcomes going forward. And let me explain what this data reflects. Basically, people are fleeing blue cities. This is from the Wall Street Journal. According to the latest census data, New York City lost 468,297 people between April 2020 and July 2022. That's 5% of the overall population. And to put that in context, that's more people than live in the city of Miami. Chicago lost 81,000 people. L.A. lost 76,000 people. San Francisco lost 65,522 7.5% of its overall population. I'm going to keep hammering this home. Why did 7.5% of San Francisco's population leave? Why did 5% of New York City's population leave over the past couple of years? It's because a lot of people looked around and said, wait a minute. They didn't like the way the cities responded to COVID, but they also said, I don't want to pay 13% tax in California. I don't want to pay 13% tax in New York City. I'm going to move to a state like Tennessee, Texas, Florida, Nevada, states without state income taxes. And those states without state income taxes are getting a lot of high-earning, high-spending new residents. And that is fueling their budgets, which make all of those states better. But the flip side is also happening in blue cities and blue states, The most wealthy residents of those states from California, Illinois, New York, they're all moving to red states. Red state tax revenues are going to go up. The quality of red state services is going to increase. The flywheel of virtue every single day is stacking up in favor of states without state income taxes. Meanwhile, the high tax states are having trouble meeting their budgets. The people that are leaving are making their tax revenues even lower which is going to lead them to drive more tax revenue increase, which is going to lead more people to leave. And I think over the next generation, we are staring down a situation where red states are going to surge in population and blue states are going to plummet. And the quality of life in those blue states, whether you got homelessness, whether you got crime, are going to continue to increase. And this is going to turn into a fascinating uh, dynamic because remember the census runs behind the data and the mobility here is moving at a rate that most of us have not seen in our lives. By 2030, red states, Florida, Texas, Tennessee, for instance, are going to be adding huge numbers of population, which means that more uh, congressional seats are going to be there and the blue states are going to be losing congressional seats, which means the map, in 2024 and 2028 for president is going to be far behind what the residents actually reflect. And that by 2032, there is going to be a whole new map in the Electoral College, which is going to be suddenly wildly favorable to Republicans and red states. Just put a flag on it. But it's coming in uh, in we're running behind. Right. Because in 2024, The data is not going to reflect that all these people have moved. The data in 2028 is not going to reflect it either. It's not going to be until the 2030 census that all of this becomes official. Again, I'm citing census data. The flywheel is all moving in favor of red states. And the people that are moving to those red states are going to make red redder and blue bluer. And red's going to win. Just telling you where we're headed. Some people out there, uh, we've been talking about... uh, this Bud Light collapse, twenty eight percent of its uh, business disappearing. Target now uh, is terrified that they're going to get Bud Lighted, uh, that they are going to be the next brand to collapse over this tuckable bathing suits and all the crazy stuff that they've been selling in Target. And moms are looking around, they're saying, "We're not, we're not going to be engaging in this anymore." Um, people are saying, "Oh." well, now the right is engaging in cancel culture. I see this argument sometimes. And frankly, this is a misapplication and misapprehension and misunderstanding of what cancel culture is. Cancel culture, so I'm going to define it s- succinctly, is the difference between, between saying, I disagree with you because, and laying out your argument, and saying, I disagree with you And you do not have the right to be employed to be able to make a living, to be able to go to this school. It's trying to eliminate someone's ability to make a living, right? Cancel culture is not weighing two different brands and saying, hey, this brand doesn't seem to reflect my values. I'm not going to consume it, right? Lots of people out there don't like me. I know, shocking. Lots of people out there, they don't like OutKick. If they go out and they say, I'm not going to listen to anything on OutKick, I'm not going to read it anymore because I don't agree with the perspectives and opinions that you're putting out there. That's not cancel culture, right? They can go read ESPN. They can go watch MSNBC. They have the right, all of you do, to decide whether or not to consume OutKick. If you don't like a restaurant or you don't like a movie or you don't like a TV show, because it doesn't reflect something that you find attractive. It's not cancel culture for you to say, I'm not going to consume this anymore, right? When I stopped watching uh, uh, the Westworld, because I didn't think Westworld was very good anymore, it wasn't cancel culture. It was choosing to spend my time watching another show instead. I like succession, so I'll watch succession, right? Cancel culture is not deciding which brands to deserve your money and your time based on what they are putting out into the world. It's a marketplace. Marketplace of ideas when it comes to someone like me. Marketplace of goods when it comes to someone like Bud Light or Target. You should, in my opinion, make choices based on how you spend your money based on whether or not you believe the brands that you are supporting support the values that matter to you. That is not cancel culture. That's the very essence of the marketplace. When you decide not to vote for a political candidate, it's that cancel culture. It's you putting your money where your mouth is or your vote where your mouth is, right? So if you hate me, more power to you. You don't have to consume any of my content. But if you say, I disagree with Clay Travis and he shouldn't ever be able to host a show Because I disagree with what he's saying, that is cancel culture. I'm not saying, hey, shut down Target. Don't allow Bud Light to exist anymore. I'm saying choose products that reflect your values. And if you think products are embracing woke ideology, then choose to embrace another product instead that provides more of a representation of your values. It's not cancel culture. That's just the marketplace speaking. Uh, I saw this. John Morant. Well, let me tie this in. The Dodgers. So my perspective on the Dodgers, I'm not Catholic. I'm not uh, particularly, as you guys know, super religious person. Just so you know, I was raised Southern Baptist Church. I know the Bible well. Uh, I believe in God. I would consider myself to be a Christian, but I am not a zealous religious advocate, whether you're, uh, whether you're Jewish, whether you're Muslim, whether you are Christian, I don't really have a strong opinion uh, on your religion, right? I just don't. I think everybody should have the right to practice and pursue whatever religion uh, they believe makes the most sense for they and their family, okay? There's my perspective on religion. I would ask you to think about this, though. As you see what is clearly... These uh, these uh, nuns that are engaging in drag show, basically, in a religiously denigrating way. Right. They are mocking the crucifixion. They are mocking the Catholic faith and they are being honored as a part of Pride Night with the L.A. Dodgers. Shouldn't our position be that all religious faith should be treated the same? In other words, If you are going to mock, like these nuns are, the Catholic faith, why not mock Islam? Why not mock Jewish people? Why not mock Hindus? Any religious faith out there? And what would the reaction be if this religious faith, let's say that this, instead of mocking nuns, Uh, that this religious faith was instead making fun of Muslims? What if they pretended to be Muhammad, dressed up and denigrated the Muslim faith as a part of their pride and drag show? What do you think would happen? First of all, those people would probably get killed, right? There'd be a fatwa out on them. Uh, the, The Islamic faith would not allow Muhammad to be mocked. And not only would they not allow Muhammad to be mocked, they would suggest that anyone mocking Muhammad deserved to be murdered. And if the Dodgers had a Pride Night where Muhammad was mocked as a part of the Pride Night, all of the people that were involved in that mockery would be in danger of being murdered. And the entire L.A. Dodgers organization would need increased police protection because the players themselves would likely come under threat. Wouldn't be doing it as a result, right? So why is the kindness of Christianity mocked, but any other religious faith that was mocked would be unacceptable and the Dodgers would never even consider doing it? I would suggest that it's the kindness of Christianity which makes it particularly mockable. Well, the Dodgers have a huge Hispanic fan base that's overwhelmingly Catholic. The Dodgers have tons of Catholic fans that show up. If you wouldn't mock Judaism, and if you wouldn't mock the Muslim faith, and if you wouldn't mock Hindus as a part of a gay pride night, why is it okay to mock Catholics? It's a question that I don't think the Dodgers have a very good answer for, but my position would be set the precedent of treating all religions the same. Worthy of respect, if you wouldn't mock any other faith. Why is it okay to mock the Catholic faith? Worth thinking about. Uh, Finally, I I, I saw where John Morant put a post up. Uh, He said bye to several family members. And as a result, the Memphis Police Department felt compelled to engage in a wellness check. John Morant's, I believe, 23 years old. Uh, It seems quite clear to me that he is not healthy mentally. Um, and, And I would just make this point. Uh, Everyone thinks that if they became young and famous, they would handle youth and fame well. Everyone does. The reality is most people, most people who are youthful and very famous do not end up climbing to the absolute apex of their professions. In other words, the Leonardo DiCaprio's famous at, I believe, 19 years old since Titanic came out, global phenomenon, Uh, LeBron James, famous since he was 17 or 18 years old, are actually the exception, not the rule. What's far more common is River Phoenix. Uh, What's far more common is Heath Ledger. What's far more common is a descent into drugs, alcohol, mental instability, because fame is overwhelming. I'm afraid that's what's going on right now with John Morant. He doesn't seem to be able to handle the the expectations and all of the attention that's on him. And I think social media is making it worse. Um, and, and I would use John Morant as an example in this way. Adam Silver came out and said that most of the young NBA players that he interacts with are profoundly unhappy. You wonder why that would be. You're young fabulously wealthy, getting to play a game for a living. I think social media is incredibly toxic for young people. And I would tie it in in this way with John ja Moran. You know, 30% of teenage girls have thought about killing themselves in the last year. 30%. One in every three. Now, I mocked the CDC over COVID because I think they did an awful job. But our CDC came out with a big report. I was reading it that social media for young people is very toxic. And it's toxic in a way that I don't think a lot of people have have thought about very much because social media arrives so quickly. But I think that comparison is often the enemy of happiness. And what I mean by that is, if you are constantly on social media, scrolling and looking very often at people who are wealthier, better looking, uh, and presenting an, in our, uh, an artificial version of their life, you get drawn into a toxic medley. And if you are a public figure, that's even worse because you go in and you read everything that people are saying about you all the time. And it's different than back in the day where you can truly choose not to read a newspaper. You can choose not to put on television and you could engage in real face-to-face interaction. And I get asked about this all the time. I'm 44 years old. People go into the comments and they say, "Man, these comments are nasty." Man, how do you how do you put your com your content out there on a day to day basis with all the toxicity that is out there? And the answer is, it's not real, right? Face to face interaction. People never say a negative word to me, right? Much of social media, and I've been making this analogy for a while, is like a Carnival Funhouse mirror. It's an artificial, distorted version of real life. But if you're a kid and you're 14 or 15 years old and you stand in front of that mirror and you look at that reflection from the Carnival Funhouse mirror and it makes you look too fat or it makes you look too skinny and you're reacting to what people say, I think it's profoundly disruptive to your mental health. And so I don't claim to know the answer. I can tell you that we try to keep all of our kids off social media. I don't want my kids sitting around on Instagram all day. I don't want my kids sitting around on Twitter all day. Um, I don't think it's healthy. And I'm making that decision as someone who works in a public arena and works in social media. Do you know some of the people who are most restrictive of their kids and their ability to be on social media and on the internet big tech executives. If they're choosing to do something different with their own kids than what they're trying to do with yours, why is that? And I tie it in with Job Moran, a guy who at 23 years old is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. The world should be his oyster. Instead, they're doing a wellness check on him, Because they were concerned after he said bye on social media to all of his family members. Was he behaving potentially in a suicidal manner? Well, if he was, it's actually super common for people of his age. And, you know, comparison is the enemy of gratitude. Warren Buffett tells a great story. He says, hey, if you could, I think it's really worth thinking about for all Americans, Said, hey, if you could, there are 8 billion marbles in a jar. Let's pretend there's a jar and it could have 8 billion marbles in it. That represents every single person on the globe today. Said, if you would randomly walk up and trade your own life with whatever marble you pulled out of the 8 billion there, then. Uh, that's a sign that you would obviously be not living at a very high level of wealth or opportunity. The data reflects not one single American, even the poorest among us, should ever, there are 330 million of us, should ever be willing to trade our marble, right? That is the privilege, which is not talked about the most, that we all share of being an American citizen. You know, If you're in the poorest subset of Americans, you'd be one of the wealthiest people in India, which is now the most populous country in the world. Let me repeat that because a lot of people don't understand it. If you are one of the poorest Americans, abject poverty here, you'd be one of the 20% most wealthy in India, which is now the most populous country in in the world. It's past China. Gratitude is the most powerful of all emotions. And I think that's such an interesting example. Would you trade your life and your experiences and your country with a random person in the world today? If you're an American, the answer should never be no. That's the privilege that we all have. How often do you think about that? How often do you think about what you have that you're grateful for? Social media is primarily focused on comparison. You look at what you don't have as opposed to what you do. Just keep it in the back of your mind. Maybe that's a little bit of wisdom for a guy who's been making a living for 20 years on the Internet. But I feel very fortunate because most of my life, based on when I was born, was not Internet. I didn't have a computer at home. Uh, I didn't have an email address when I went off to college. I became an adult before I ever got on the Internet and spent any time there. Kids are growing up now in a comparison-bedecked world that I think makes them profoundly unhappy. Whether they're one of those random teenage girls out there, the 30% that have thought about committing suicide in the last year, or even one of the most skilled and wealthy young people in America today, Job Morant, why is that profound unhappiness so significant? I think it's comparison which steals joy. Just think about it. Uh, All right, I appreciate all of you. My name is Clay Travis. I hope you all have fabulous uh, Memorial Day weekends, certainly worth contemplating, Uh, all who have given up so much so we can have the freedoms that we've had. I'll talk about this on the Tuesday edition of the program, Uh, but one of the most profound moments of my life was the opportunity to spend uh, uh, walking around on the beaches of Normandy and then to go to the cemetery where so many young people who gave up their lives to fight actual Nazis are buried. Um, It's a moment that is incredibly ennobling. I hope that all of you at some point, especially if you're history uh, nerds like me, get the opportunity uh, to go to the battlefields of Normandy to walk around and see what actual good uh, being put to the test against actual evil looks like from a historical perspective. DBAP unless you need to SBAP. I am Clay Travis. This has been OutKick, the show. (laughs)